Well, friends, this morning, uh, we're going to continue on in our journey through the book of Ephesians and uh, look at a very powerful passage that, that really echoes a lot of just the great truths that we've already been singing about, that we've heard about here uh, this morning during our offering song. And uh, before we begin, let me just open in a word of prayer again and just ask God's blessing on our, our time looking at uh, his word this morning. Heavenly Father, would you just come and, and speak through me right now, Lord? Uh, I just pray that you would help me to do justice to this amazing passage that you uh, gave through your servant Paul to the church to encourage us, to inspire us, to communicate to us the great promises, the blessings that we have in you. And uh, I just pray, God, that you would inspire us with a, with a fresh vision of that this morning, a greater vision of, of those promises. And so we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was in uh, high school, I had a car, uh, an old Honda Accord, and uh, it was my first car, so, you know, of course, as, as a guy, you know, your first car is always something special, but let me tell you, this, this Honda Accord, it, it, it wasn't much to look at, okay? Uh, it wasn't the most beautiful of cars, and uh, in fact, my, my younger brother used to affectionately refer to it as the missionary car. And, uh, you know, it was one of those cars that you would loan out to the missionaries when they were visiting because it was just this old beater, this old loner car, you know, and so he called it the missionary car. Well, I, I loved the missionary car and it was a great vehicle, but it uh, lasted me through high school and college. Well, one day, though, when I was in the summer of my uh, year after just graduating from college, I was preparing to go to seminary at Bethel Seminary the next fall. I, had, uh, I was working at a grocery store back in my hometown of Eden Prairie, and I came home one afternoon, uh, drove up into the driveway in my missionary car, and there in my driveway was this beautiful, beautiful, shiny white Toyota Celica GT. I mean, it, it was just a beautiful car. I mean, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a brand spanking new car, but you wouldn't have known it. It was just gorgeous. And I pulled in and I'm thinking, okay, somebody must be visiting here, you know, what's going on? And, and uh, so I get out and I go inside and my dad's like, what do you think of the car out in the driveway? And I said, well, what do you mean? It's, it's, it's cool. It's awesome. He's like, he's like, why don't you go driving around this afternoon? And uh, I know you've been looking at cars and uh, I just thought it might be cool for you to, you know, just take it out for a test drive this afternoon. So I'm thinking, all right, I can do that, you know. So I, uh, I go out and I get in this, uh, this beautiful uh, white Toyota Celica GT, black leather seats. I mean, the, the, the wheels were just gorgeous. I mean, everything about this car was just awesome. So I get in the car, you know, first thing I do, of course, I go and drive to my best friend's house, and I'm like, hey, check out this car. We get to test drive this all afternoon. And so we're driving around all over town, you know, going visiting our friends, going out, getting some food, hanging out, having a great time driving around in this car. Well, the afternoon goes by and gets to be evening, so I head home, and I pull up into the driveway, and my dad comes out, and he's like, Jason, so what do you think about the car? And I said, well, what do you mean, what do I think? It's, it's awesome. It's, it's beautiful. And he's like, well, I want you to do something. Open up the glove compartment. And I went and I opened up the glove compartment, and there in the glove compartment was the title to this car. And it had my name on it. And my dad says, you like the car? And I said, yeah. He's like, it's yours. Friends, I'd been driving around the entire afternoon in this beautiful car never realizing the amazing gift that I had in my possession. Never realizing the, the incredible reality that this was mine because of this amazing gift my dad had given me. 
Well, I tell you what, when I went to seminary in the fall, there was no other seminarian that had a car like I did <laughs> driving into Bethel Seminary. But man, what an, what an incredible gift. And friends, you know, I share this story with you this morning because I think the experience of my car is very similar to how many of us experience our relationship with Jesus Christ. For many of us, you know, we, we appreciate the fact that we have this incredible salvation in Christ, but for many of us, we fail to open up the glove compartment and realize the full and incredible nature of the incredible blessing that we truly have and all that we've really been given in Jesus Christ. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want to look at a passage of Scripture where Paul, in a sense, opens up the glove compartment and gives us a glimpse of the incredible blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, what we already have in our possession as his children. Take a look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. The Apostle Paul here, continuing on in our journey, the letter to the Ephesians, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. It's an amazing passage of scripture. It's one of those passages where I walk into Pastor Rick's office on Monday morning and I say, what are you doing here? You're only giving me a week to cover this. Paul here reveals to us some amazing truths. He begins in this passage by giving us a glimpse into his heart for the church. You know, the Apostle Paul is known for being a great evangelist. But you know, I, I think Paul was a great pastor. I think he was a great pastor. And here in this passage, we see Paul's heart for the church. We see Paul praying, giving thanks for the church. Paul says, ever since I heard about your faith and your love for all the saints. You see, these Ephesians, they got what it was to be followers of Jesus. They not only had faith in Jesus, but they had a love for their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They were doing life together. They were caring for one another. They were upholding one another. They knew what it was to be the church, the body of Christ. And for that, Paul rejoices and he gives thanks, he says. And then in verse 16, Paul tells the Ephesians that I pray for you. He prays for the church. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest privileges that we have here as pastors and staff at Lakes Free is praying for you, our church. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but every Tuesday morning in our staff meeting, we spend a, a significant portion of that staff meeting praying for you. We pray for many of you by name, uh, often as a result of some of the prayer requests that you submit or maybe different concerns that we hear about going on in your lives. And what a great privilege it is for us to, to pray for you, our brothers and sisters. Because just like Paul, we have a great amount of love for you, our fellow believers here at Lakes Free. Paul then reveals to the Ephesians his desire that they might know God better. In verse 17, Paul says he prays that they might come to know God better. You know, that's really the heart of a pastor. 
loving his people, praying for his people, and having this burning desire for them to know and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, that's what it's all about for us as pastors. As we desire more than anything for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And man, what a joy it is for us. You know, uh, I've been here at Lakes Free for six years. Pastor Rick, what's it been for you? 27, 29, 29 years? Man, what a blessing it is for us to walk through life with you and to see how God works in your lives and grows in your lives and, and, and leads you through the challenging times and trials of your lives, and then to come alongside you and celebrate with you in those special, joyous moments of your lives. Friends, in my opinion, there's no greater privilege. We get to do that as pastors. And this is what we see Paul sharing with the Ephesians, his great love for the church. Now, in all honesty, I'd love to spend a whole hour talking about the significance of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and all that we learn about Paul and all that we learn about the church through what he tells the Ephesians he's praying for them. But what I really want to do this morning in the limited time that we have is focus on this last point, Paul's desire for the church to know God better. Again, this is really our ultimate joy as pastors, that our churches might come to know God better. Paul, in verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He wants his people to know God better. Now, this is an interesting question. How do we come to know God better? How do we come to know God better? Well, Paul clues us into this point here in verse 17. He tells us we come to know God better through a supernatural discernment of all we have and all we are in Jesus Christ. A supernatural discernment of all we have and all we are in Jesus Christ. Now, there's an interesting little uh, debate that goes goes, goes on amongst Bible translators here in verse 17. Paul here says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. How many of you in your Bibles, or maybe if you're following along on the screen, how many of your Bibles say the spirit, capitalized the, capitalized S, spirit? Okay? If you're using an NIV, most of your NIVs are going to say the spirit. So Paul here is saying, according to the NIV, that I pray that God would give you the spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now friends, I love the NIV. That's the translation I use mostly. But on this point here, I have to say I think the NIV got it wrong. Some of our translations, if you're using the English Standard Version, for example, or the Holman Christian Standard Bible, some of our versions will say, Paul prays asking that God gives them a spirit, lowercase s, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, I think there's a big difference there. Is Paul praying that the Ephesians would get the spirit, as in the Holy Spirit, or is he praying that they would have a spirit, a general attitude, a general disposition or mindset of wisdom and revelation? And I think it's the latter. You see, Paul has already told the Ephesians, he's already praised them and recognized their faith in Jesus Christ. 
here in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, I have not stopped giving thanks. Friends, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are instantaneously sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Rick talk about in the last section of Ephesians that we went through, how the Apostle Paul says that you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You see, the Ephesians already had the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is asking here for is that they might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And an attitude, a mindset, a disposition to understand the incredible nature of the blessings that we've been given in Jesus Christ. It's like, it's like saying the cheerleaders were there rousing the crowd with a spirit of enthusiasm. Right? It's not that there was literally a spirit of enthusiasm, but the cheerleaders were trying to work up within the crowd a, a mindset, an attitude, a disposition of excitement, of enthusiasm for their team. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's praying that the Ephesians would have a spirit, that the eyes of their heart might be open to understand through the work of the Holy Spirit who lived in them the incredible truths that God has already revealed to us. Paul's not asking that they be given something new. They already have all of this. But Paul is asking that the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, would come and reveal to us all truth. Paul is praying that the spirit of truth would enlighten their hearts, would open the eyes of their hearts, so that they might come to understand the incredible promises that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul prays for. He prays that they would come to know God better through a spirit of wisdom and revelation, through the working of the Holy Spirit who they already possessed, revealing these incredible truths to us. And what we see here now in our prayer from Paul is Paul highlights for us three amazing promises, three truths that are really amazing promises of God for us as his people Promises, blessings that we've been given in Jesus Christ. I want to read again, if you follow along with me in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17 through 19. This is Paul's prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And what does Paul want us to know better about God? He wants to know three incredible promises. He says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, number one, the hope to which he has called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And thirdly, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul says he wants us to know the hope that we have. The riches of God's glorious inheritance. And three, the incomparably great power that we possess as believers in Jesus Christ. I want to spend some time looking at these three promises this morning. If you see the title of our sermon this morning, I titled it Prayerful Promises. 
prayerful promises because Paul is praying that we might have a greater understanding of these promises that we have in Jesus Christ. And the first of these prayerful promises that Paul reveals to us, that he reminds us are already ours in Jesus Christ. Remember, what we're doing here this morning, we're opening the glove compartment, right? We already have these in our possession. Paul's praying that we might know these truths more fully, more deeply, more richly. He wants us to open the glove box and see that the title already has our name on it. And number one, Paul says, you are a people of hope. He says, you're a people of hope. And what is the hope he's referring to? He's talking about the amazing spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. He's talking about all the stuff that Pastor Rick has highlighted for us the past three weeks in Paul's opening to the Ephesians in this letter. The amazing spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And because of those blessings, we have hope. You know, friends, we live in a world today where hope is in short supply. We live in a world where people are looking for hope. In fact, one of the greatest longings of the human heart is the need for hope. Hope gives us the assurance that we're moving towards something better, something better than what this present life, this present experience offers. And you know, our world is full of politicians and products that promise hope. And yet it just seems like there's this hope deficit in our world today. People looking for hope. People looking for meaning. People looking for significance, for something to believe in. You know, it it, it shouldn't surprise us, I would argue, that we shouldn't be surprised that there's this hope deficit in our world today when the prevailing worldview embraced in our culture today is this worldview of naturalism where for the last 200 years we've been telling people that you're nothing but an accident, that the universe exploded into existence and we're nothing more than this grand cosmic accident. And we wonder why people search for hope, for meaning when we're nothing more than an accident. Jacques Minot, a famous evolutionary biologist, he once said, man is merely an accident whose number came up on the universal roulette wheel. There is no meaning to anything. Everything is ultimately absurd and meaningless. Friends, this is the worldview our culture has embraced. We're, we're really in the same position today as the Ephesians were before they came to know Jesus Christ. If you look ahead in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul tells the Ephesians, remember at that time when you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. See, friends, this is the logical conclusion of a culture that denies the reality of our creator God. Paul says, without God, and without hope. This is the dominant worldview being promoted in our culture today. There is no God and you're nothing more than an accident. Evolved out of pond scum, as Discover Magazine recently put it. And we wonder why people long for hope. We wonder why our world drowns itself in entertainment and sports and sex and alcohol and careers and the pursuit of money, all looking for something to fill this hope deficit. And yet, sadly, we've divorced ourselves from the one true source of hope, 
a relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Creator God. You know, some of our philosophers are a little bit more honest about the logical implications of denying a Creator. Some of you may be familiar with the name Jean-Paul Sartre, the famous French existentialist philosopher. Jean-Paul Sartre once admitted that God does not exist, I cannot deny. He was an atheist. He says, I cannot deny that God does not exist, but that my whole being cries out for God. I cannot forget. Friends, we were made for hope. We were made for the hope that comes by understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. And in a culture that denies that reality, we shouldn't be surprised to see this great hope deficit. Sartre titled his autobiography, Nausea. He says, life without God is meaningless, it's pointless, it's nausea sickening. See, friends, the Bible has understood this human longing all the way from the very beginning because it was why God created us, to live in a relationship with him. King David in the book of Psalms, for example, Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, King David, he says, and Ryan, if you could flip ahead to that, please. One more slide. King David says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Friends, we were created for hope. And that hope comes through an understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ. Augustine of Hippo, the famous early church theologian, he once said that God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. So true, friends. Now the good news of the gospel, though, this morning is this. Paul reminds us here in this prayer where he cries out asking that we might know God better. Paul reminds us in this prayer of one of the great promises of the gospel that in Jesus Christ, we are people of hope. And why? It's because we've been called and we know the caller. And so we have hope. In Ephesians chapter one, we've already looked at this passage, but man, we need to be reminded of this all the time. We've been called and we know the caller. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Friends, if this is true, if we've been called, and if there's a caller, that means there must be a plan and a purpose for our lives. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God tells us, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. If God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, friends, that means our lives have meaning and significance. Friends, this is why Peter described in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, he describes our salvation as a new birth into a living hope. A living hope. Something that we know and experience each and every day. The hope of who we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, here in this passage, Paul reveals to us that in Christ, we are people of worth. We are people of worth. Paul prays not only that we might come to know the hope that we have, but he prays that we might come to see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. His glorious inheritance. Paul says that God has a glorious, a rich inheritance in the saints. You might remember last week, Pastor Rick talked about how we as believers in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have an, a glorious inheritance to look forward to. But here Paul says, it's not just us that has an inheritance to look forward to. Paul says God is looking forward to the riches of his glorious inheritance in you. In you. God considers you his glorious inheritance. Friends, I don't know how many of you have ever received an inheritance. Something special that, that you've been given as a gift. Something that's been passed down as an inheritance. Some of you asked me over the years why I wear this ring on my index finger. I have the second ring on my finger. This ring was my dad's wedding ring. When my dad passed away three and a half years ago, my mom said, Jason, I want you to have dad's ring. And I wear this ring. It's a special possession. It's a reminder to me of where I come from, who my father was, his amazing love for me, just the incredible blessings that he gave me. And I treasure this because it's my special possession. It's my inheritance. And friends, God looks at you the very same way. He says you are his special possession, his inheritance. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Paul tell, Peter tells us this very thing. He says we are God's special possession, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, into dark, called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Over and over again throughout Scripture, God's Word tells us that we are God's special possession. Now, this is an incredible promise. I mean, think about this. The God who owns everything in the universe looks at you and considers you to be His glorious inheritance. Friends, if that doesn't blow you away, I, don't, I, I, just, I honestly don't know what will. God considers you his glorious inheritance. We are his treasure. We are his prize. But friends, even more than that, God's love for us. It's not just like how we love a possession, but God's love for us, the Bible tells us, is more of a passionate love. It's a relational love. It, it's the kind of love that a groom experiences the first time he sees his bride. I'll never forget 
11 years ago when Kim and I got married. Man, my, my wife, she's gorgeous, by the way, but I, I will never forget how beautiful she looked on that day we got married. I remember before the ceremony started, we did, the, we did the thing where we did some of our wedding pictures before the ceremony. And we were at Northwestern College outside the chapel there, and they got these beautiful, you know, stone pillars. And, and uh, I was waiting in this corridor, and they had me, they had me with my back facing the door where Kim was going to come out. And they wanted to get this on pic- pictures and videos of me seeing Kim for the first time. And I remember I'm standing there waiting, I'm waiting, and, and all of a sudden I, I feel this little tug on my jacket and I turn around, wow. I mean, I was, I was just flabbergasted, blown away by how beautiful my wife looked. Michael, you know what I'm talking about. We did your wedding just last summer. And I saw that same look in your eyes when you saw Cindy coming down the aisle. Friends, this is how God looks at us. This passionate, overwhelming, relational love where he is just flabbergasted by us. Look at what he says in Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder, shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Friends, one day we, as God's people, are going to stand before our God as the bride of Christ and God is going to look at us and his jaw is going to drop and he is going to just say, holy cow. Look at how beautiful you are. Friends, we are God's bride. We're his beloved. And if you don't understand this, Man, you're missing out. God is absolutely crazy about you. He's passionate about you. This is the whole reason Jesus told those parables in Luke chapter 15. You remember this incredible chapter? Jesus tells these three stories. He tells the story of the shepherd who goes looking for his lost sheep. Then he tells the story of this, this woman, this homeowner, who tears apart her house looking for this treasured lost coin. And then he tells maybe the greatest story in the whole Bible, the famous story of the prodigal son, about this son who took his inheritance and he moved away and he wasted it and he was destitute and he returns home and he discovers that all along his father had been watching and waiting. Friends, the point of the story The reason Jesus tells these stories is because he wants us to understand his great love for us. The point of the story, according to Jesus, is not, oh man, can you believe how lucky that sheep got? I mean, man, that sheep sure is lucky the shepherd found him. The point of the story is not, man, good thing that lady found that coin because if she hadn't found that coin, it would have been sitting under that refrigerator for years gathering lint and dust. The point of the story is not, man, that prodigal son, he has no idea how lucky he is. That's not the point of those stories. The point of the stories, the shepherd who is God says, rejoice with me, I found my sheep. The homeowner says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. The the father says, let's have a feast and celebrate because the son of mine was lost and now he's found. 
Friends, the point of those stories is that we might fully know and understand and appreciate the incredible depth of God's grace and love for us. That's why Jesus told those stories. Because he's absolutely crazy about you. We are of exceptional worth to God. You know, friends, the next time you're feeling down about yourself, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go outside on a clear night. I want you to look up at the stars. And I want you to say to yourself, the God who made all of this is madly in love with me. Wow. What an incredible promise. The third thing that Paul points out to us in this incredible passage in Ephesians, Paul says, in Christ, we are people of power. Paul prays that we might know the hope that we have, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, but then lastly, he prays that we might know his incomparably great power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised us that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit came to us. That we would receive power. Now, friends, you need to understand something here. This wasn't any kind of ordinary power. This is why Paul says it was incomparably great power that we've received. The Greek word that Paul uses here for power is the word dunamis. It's where we get our English words dynamic and dynamite from. Friends, that's the kind of power we have as followers of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. We have dynamic, dynamite, explosive power. (laughs) You remember good times? JJ, right? This was one of the first shows I remember watching as a kid in the mid to late 70s. You remember JJ's famous tagline? He'd come walking into the apartment, dynamite! Friends, that's what Paul's talking about. As followers of Jesus Christ who have the Holy Spirit within us, we don't have just any kind of power. We have dynamite! Because of the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. This is why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because we got dynamite. The Holy Spirit living within us. And sadly, friends, you know what? So many of us, we go through life and we face these trials and challenges of life and so often in life, it seems like for many of us, we think we're being powered by a Duracell when in reality, we're being powered by dynamite. You know what I'm saying? We encounter these challenges, these trials, these heartaches, these setbacks, and we think, oh man, you know, Jason, I I just keep struggling with this sin in my life. I just can't seem to beat this thing. I I just keep going back and back into it. And you know what Paul says? He says, are you powered by a Duracell or are you powered by dynamite? But Jason, you just, you just don't, you just don't understand. I mean, our marriage is falling apart. We, we just, we're, we're button heads all the time. We just can't seem to make any progress, any headway. And Paul here says, are you powered by a Duracell or are you powered by dynamite? But Jason, Jason, you just, you just don't understand. Jason, the doctor called this last week and the diagnosis wasn't good. And I'm losing hope. 
And Paul says, are you powered by a Duracell? Or are you powered by dynamite? Friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been given this incomparably great power. The Holy Spirit who lives within us, and because of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You may have seen on the news this past week, a guy by the name of Kenneth Bay was released from a prison camp in North Korea. He had spent two years in a prison camp in North Korea. Some of you know this, but Kenneth Bay is actually a friend of mine. Six years ago, my dad, brother, and I spent two weeks in northern China on the border of North Korea ministering with a youth with a mission base. Kenneth was the director. He was our host. For the past two years, we've been praying regularly, earnestly for God to save Kenneth. Last weekend, remarkably, miraculously, the North Koreans, after sentencing him to 15 years of isolation and hard labor, allowed him to go home. Praise the Lord. Friends, I don't know if you heard Kenneth's brief press conference when he got back to the Air Force Base in Seattle. He only talked for about a minute, but I was blown away. In his press conference, Kenneth said, it's been an amazing two years. It's been an amazing experience. And then he thanked everyone who had been praying for him, lifting him up during that time. He said it was a great encouragement to him. An amazing experience an amazing two years digging rocks in a North Korean prison camp for 12 hours a day, subsisting on a cup of rice of food a day. That was an amazing experience, an amazing blessing. Friends, where does this kind of attitude come from? I'll tell you something, it comes only from a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. A life that understands the incomparably great power that we have in Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm gonna tell you something this morning. If God's power can sustain a man in the prison camps of North Korea for two years, I promise you, you can trust that God's power can sustain you through whatever trials, whatever challenges you might be facing today. We have incomparably great power in Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote Romans chapter 8. So that we might fully understand this incomparably great power that we have access to in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How so? Because we've got dynamite! Romans 8.31, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? We've got dynamite. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Friends, no, because we have the incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Paul goes on. Romans 8, 37 through 39, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, because we have the dynamic, dynamite, explosive power, the incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Friends, are you getting excited here this morning? Open the glove box. Come to see the incredible blessings that we possess in Jesus Christ. Paul here in the book of Ephesians, he tells us we are a people of hope. We're a people of worth. And we're a people of power. And I want you to understand something this morning. There are no nobodies in Jesus Christ. A lot of us go through life and I think, you know, we wonder, am I worth anything at all? We all struggle with those self-doubts, those questions, those hurts, those disappointments. But friends, if you understand who you are in Jesus Christ, there are no nobodies in Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna tell you something this morning, if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are missing out on the incredible blessings he has for you. The good news this morning is Jesus promised us in John chapter 1, verse 12, that any who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. Children of God who are people of hope, worth, and incomparably great power. I pray you'll put your trust in Jesus Christ if you haven't. Nothing greater. Open that glove box and discover the amazing gift you've been given. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Jesus, I pray that as we leave here this morning, we we might walk away with just a, a richer, fuller understanding of all you've done for us, all you've blessed us with. You've been so good to us, God. We are so unworthy, and yet still you love us and just pour out your blessings on us. God, let that knowledge transform us. Let it change the way we live. Let let it inspire and encourage us as we go forward each and every day. Jesus, if there's anybody here who doesn't know those great promises, I pray that they might put their hope and trust in you that they might call out to you this morning and know for the very first time the joy that comes from being a child of God. We thank you for these blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.